Everybody, hello and welcome to the Spurs 9501 live stream. I've got Harshal Patel, who's a football analyst with us. Hello, Harshal, welcome back. Um, hope you can Thank hear you me okay. Yes, so I guys, Thank we're... you for having me again, Ray. No, no, you're most welcome. So what we're doing here, guys, is we're going to do a live stream. For the first part of the live stream, we're going to get Harshal, who's going to talk about some of the new signings Tottenham have made. And in the second part, we're going to have some experts from football Argentina, who are going to help us understand QT Romero, uh, Martinez, and all these other guys, how they're good they are and what they're doing, etc. So if you've got any questions or you want any answers or anything, please, you know, put them in the comment section, ask the questions in the live chat, and we'll get them answered. So um, if uh, so, let's start off the discussion. So, Harshal, we've got some, a lot of our subscribers have come back to us and said, you know, they, they don't understand what a lot of these terms mean and things like that. So maybe you can help me out. I'll, I'll, I'll give you some terms and you can try and um, help me out. So the first one they've asked about is double pivot. So what does double pivot mean? So often talked about Hoiberg and Skip in a double pivot. What does that mean? So that's what that basically a double pivot is a two-man midfield. So if you look at um, football formations where, say, for example, if it's a 4 2 three, one, the two in that four two three one would be that double pivot. If it's um, even something like a three four three or a three five two, like for example, look at the system that Chelsea play, yep. where it's a back three uh, with wing backs. It's a three four three essentially, but that they've got a double pivot in midfield. There's a two man midfield, and it's. I mean, you can almost say that. I mean, every two man midfield or every system that has a two man midfield is a double pivot, or more or less. But it, what it essentially means it is that the two players would um, sort of take turns going forward and staying back. So it's it's like a pivot in the sense that it needs to go this way. If if one guy goes forward, the other sits back. Okay, that's okay, essentially it, yeah. what you what you look at in a double pivot. So even if you look at Spurs and say if they're going to play a four two three one, and as you said, if for example it's a it's a midfield duo of Oliver Skip and uh, Pierre Hoybier. You'd have to have that balance of where if one player is going forward to support the attack, the other sits back, and that's basically what the double pivot gives you. Where, or that's basically where what the double pivot pivot means, where you need to have that balance between attacking and defending. Sure, sure, no, okay, that's great. And another one is uh, Mourinho. When we spoke about Mourinho, he's always talking about the the low block. So, what does the low block mean? Explain that to our subscribers and viewers. So, so um, in terms of your shape or your team shape off the ball when you don't have possession and when you're defending, yep. it can either be a low block, a high block, or a medium block, and it's that that essentially means the the height of the defensive line, in the sense that how high up are you defending, yep. uh, in, in terms of high, uh, how far from a penalty area or how close to your penalty area are you guys defending? So sure, in a sure. low block, for example, um, a low block would you. A team that's playing a low block would usually have their defensive line, which again, if it's a four defender formation, basically your center, two center backs and the two full backs, would be, I would not be further than ten to at the most fifteen yards away from your from the, uh, from your penalty area. Yep, a medium yep, yep. block, a, a mid block would be somewhere along halfway in your in your own half. So the defensive line would be basically midway through uh, uh, the distance between the the half line and your and your uh, goal line and yep, yep. if you're playing a high block or a high defensive line your defensive line is essentially almost on the half line or in some cases even in the opposition's half depending on where the ball is so sure, sure. It, it essentially it, a low block is definitely is basically 
uh, a team or uh, a system where you're defending deep and you're defending deep, yeah. that yeah and that ties in with the rest of this team as well because you can't have the defensive line say on the edge of a penalty area but then the midfield and the attacker on the halfway line because then that leaves a huge amount of space so sure, you sure. you'll normally see the team sort of compressing and sitting really deep distance between the lines being very minimal and that's yep. as you said that's a, that's a, that's something that Mourinho was famous for yep. earlier on in his career he's he's I don't think he's as good at it now yeah. but uh, yeah that's basically yes. what a low block okay. is where you're defending yeah. deep and very close to your penalty area yeah yeah Good, good evening, Wayne. Good evening, Kev Alexander. Thanks for joining the stream. If you've got any questions, guys, please, you know, feel free to put them in. We've got Harsh here helping. We're going to have the Argentinian guys later coming on and talking about Romero and the other guys. So please do let us know if you've got any questions. So another one we've got here um, is what is possession-based football, Harshal? Question for you. I mean, again, very simple. That- Just a team that would look to dominate possession. Yeah. Where, you're, where you're trying or you're your main focus is to have the ball as yep. much as possible and then try and create chances. Again, that's at odds with, say, Mourinho's approach. Mourinho has, it's almost famous in terms of uh, where there have been instances where he's literally, he said this, that he doesn't want his team to have the ball because in his mindset or his philosophy is that if you have the ball, um, the uh, uh, the chances of you making a mistake and therefore sort of conceding a goal are greater. If you don't have the ball, the lesser the chance of you making a mistake on the ball. So uh, when it comes to possession-based, uh, what you're basically saying is, or what you're basically looking at is teams or managers or, or systems where your main focus is to try and dominate possession, is to try and have more of the ball. And when I say more of the ball, I'm not saying something like 52%, 53%. You try and you'd see possession-based teams having uh, sort of uh, possession figures of upwards of 60% consistently, match on match. So, and, and that's that's where, that's basically the building block of your playing philosophy and that's, and you try and then put everything else, your your tactics, your specific uh, sort of rotations and, and everything else that you do on the pitch is based on that basic philosophy of whether you want the ball or you don't want the ball. Sure, sure. Okay, that's great. I mean, if you've got any more, if anybody else comes on and asks any questions, we'll answer that. But let's talk about the new signings that we've made now. Let's start with QT Romero. Um, apparently, he was a top defender in Serie A last year. So what does that actually mean when they say he's a top defender? Is that in terms of tackles or the blocks? Or what does that mean, Harshal? So now with regard to Romero, um, he's obviously uh, he's, he's been one of the brightest young defenders in Europe over the last couple of seasons or so. Was at Juventus, uh, was loaned out to Genoa first, then was on loan at Atalanta, um, and then Atalanta exercised their the option to buy him, and they've obviously subsequently loaned him out to Spurs and with an option to to pick him up on a, on a, on a permanent transfer as well. Um, the thing is, you can have there are obviously different types of defenders. Now there are some defenders who are extremely aggressive, who like to get, um, you know. Uh, get as many tackles, as many interceptions. I'd, I'd call them front foot defenders in the sense that they, they're very proactive. They try and sort of have as many involvements in the game as possible. There are others who prefer to sit back, who prefer to let their positioning take care of the job and uh, may not be as active. And again, this is this is not just something that is only dependent on the player and his attributes. It it, it ties into the system as well because if you're a team for example going back to what we spoke about just a few minutes earlier 
if you're a team that plays in a low block, but you have a defender who's very proactive and looks to get out and, and tackle and uh, sort of get to the player in possession, that's not going to work because you uh, because if he if he can if he does that a lot i mean you need to understand that if the the frequency of those actions is very high there's a very huge there's a very big chance that you're leaving space in behind for the opposition to attack which is if, which is exactly what you're trying to prevent when you're playing in a low block yep, so yep, yep. um with regard to atlanta under gian piero gasparini they've been one of the most aggressive sides both on and off the ball across Europe over the last two or three seasons. They've all, and personally, they're one of my favorite sides, honestly, across the top five um, European leagues to watch because it's just, it's it's mad, honestly. It's probably um, uh, a level above what Leeds do, for example. It's it's uh, in terms of positional rotations, in terms of aggression. And Romero is has been absolutely at the forefront of that in terms of their defensive uh, work. I mean, if you look at some of the numbers he's put up, uh, put up. Um, one of the things that baffles me is that um, so there's there. If if uh, our viewers and subscribers may not know, there's a website called FBREF, which is powered by Statsbomb, which yep. basically has a, a load of statistics across. What's that called again? I'll um, put that in the chat. FBREF.com. FBREF.com. They they're basically powered by Statsbomb and yep. they have a lot of data and numbers on uh, players and teams from across the top five European leagues. Yep. Um, so according to F, uh, now FBREF, one of the statistics they use is uh, pressures where um, it's, it's essentially the number of times a player applies pressure to an opposing player who is has the ball or is receiving the ball or is right. you know, yep. carrying the ball. Yep. and they've they've they break this up in terms of where those pressures occur whether it's in your own defensive third whether it's in the yep. middle third of the pitch yep. or whether it's in the attacking third now mm-hmm. for a center back you normally think that the majority of his pressures would take place in in his defensive third yep yep we should do yeah romero really, that's based, yeah. yeah romero over the last year or so romero made more pressures in the middle third of the pitch than he did in the defensive third of the pitch it's not too much of a difference it's a yeah. little bit but he still made more pressures in the middle third than, than in the defensive third now again this ties back to the fact that atlanta are a team who play very aggressively but romero is also a very aggressive defender he does all he's he's he was also extremely aggressive when he was playing for argentina in the copa america uh, a month or so ago so, Harshal, what does so, that mean then? So, if you're saying he's playing a lot of pressure in the middle third of the field, does that mean that in Atlanta there were people coming back covering for him in the centre-back position? No, so he could push Atlanta, Atlanta actually played a high line. They played okay. with a high defensive line. So, their starting position is already higher up the pitch. Okay, yep. And from there, he's moving further up and, and yep. sort of making more actions, even, you know, somewhere on the halfway line or... In the midfield, uh, yeah. Or, yeah, so now... And it, it, you also uh, one, another thing that I want uh, want to point out is that with Atlanta, he's primarily played in a back three, either yep. uh, usually as the center uh, of the three defenders, or sometimes mm-hmm. on on the right. And again, the fact that you're playing in a back three gives you a little bit more protection when you're stepping out to, to sort of engage players because you've got two defenders potentially even a wing back covering. It's I'd say it's a lot more risky to do that when you're playing in a back four because obviously there's a lot less cover. So you need to... It works if you're playing in a high line, if you're playing in a team that presses high up the pitch. So you've got all of those things working together. But 
now with regard to spurs um it will come down to what sort of system and what sort of uh, you know uh, uh, overall approach nuno chooses to go with from if you look at pre-season it looks like he's going to play a 4-3-3 or maybe a 4-2-3-1 maybe even a 4-4-2 at times but uh, you know i haven't seen too much evidence of nuno playing with a back three whereas at wolves nuno almost exclusively played with a back three until his last season where he moved to a back four uh, midway through the season so if nuno is going to play with a back four and if romero is going to be one of the starting center backs i think there will be a little bit of adjustment both to the yep. league and and to nuno's style of play that that romero will need to need to have because yeah i'm not sure that nuno wants to play a very aggressive very high pressing style if that so is the case that's yeah. that's great but if not yeah. there's a little bit of adjustment that could uh, happen and that's why spurs fans will need to be patient so wayne's got a question here so do you think romero will fit into nuno's setup so yeah. what you're saying is if he plays the back four they could need some adjustment if it's a back three it should be quite seamless because he's used to playing that back three way yes and also um it'll depend on whether spurs um, press high whether they're playing in a in a mid block or even a high block rather than a low block because honestly if it's a low block romero um he's 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 one of the most aggressive defenders in in europe i mean he's again if you look at fbrf he's in the 97th 98 99th percentile for stuff like tackles interceptions pressures and again if somebody's not uh, familiar with the concept of percentiles what i'm basically saying is that he's in the top 1 to 2% of center backs across europe um for for these actions over the last year so that's a that's a good thing in in the sense that it can help if spurs play in a similar style but if spurs are playing a more defensive style it could be a little bit of a mismatch in terms of how aggressive uh, romero is and how aggressively spurs play so there could i i genuinely think that there will be a little bit of an adaptation period could be as long as this the whole season to be honest but there will be an adaptation period that romero will have to go through before um i think so, you can sort of appreciate all his gifts so question from steve who's one of our group aggressive on the front foot worries me a little bit it sort of describes orie which means mistakes penalties and losing the ball so are we saying that there's more likelihood that potentially because of his aggression he's going to be given away penalties he's going to be given away stuff you know at the ball do you think um, that's a possibility in the beginning I, when he beds in could be could be i mean another thing to note is that uh, I think he averaged a yellow card every two games last year. Oh, wow, so, okay. <laughs> yeah, he is extremely aggressive. When I say aggressive, I mean he's he he genuinely loves to get stuck in to to use a classical a classic term that a lot of football fans use. He genuinely loves to get stuck in. So, um there there is there there is a bit of a chance of that happening, but yeah. uh So we could Overall, see a few suspensions he's... going down the line. One, <laughs> a red be. card, was it a, a yellow card every two games? So that doesn't bode well, does it? Especially in the yeah. Premier League, where they they get But you fat. Yeah. Honestly, he that like I, I'm saying this from uh, from the point of view of a Man United fan. We've got Eric Bailly, who's yeah. again massively aggressive, loves to get into tackles. We had Marcos Rojo before him, again another Argentinian, similar yeah. player, loves to get into tackles and and sort of you know get stuck in. And these guys are a bit of a cult. uh you know uh heroes among the fan base you, <laughs> you love to see them getting into tackles the entire stadium erupts so that's the sort of thing i think you can expect from romero in in terms of he will sort of get the fan base going yeah. so another question we got from wayne can romero play sweeper if it's a back three 
of either behind or forward of the other two center backs has he ever played that formation or can he play like that definitely he's played that at atlanta uh, at genoa as well um he is pretty quick so he can sort of sit back and sweep up uh, if he's playing in a back 3 he can as as i said he has almost almost the majority of his minutes uh, not even almost that's it the vast majority of his minutes for atlanta came as the as the center as the central center back in that back 3 so okay. uh, a lot of times he was the guy sweeping up where it's the other two guys uh, sort of stepping up and he's the guy maybe sitting back a little bit and uh, you know covering space behind so he can yeah. definitely do that Okay, and Wayne, thanks for all your questions, Wayne. They're really, really good questions. Romero sounds like an old school centre back, something we've needed at Tottenham for a long time. So something like uh, the old Graham Roberts, you know, the really strong centre backs. The thing is that worries me is, um, you know, who is going to be his partner, and if if Romero is pushing up high, is the partner going to cover for him, and how is that all going to work? So I think there's a bit of betting in to be done, don't you think, Harshal? Yeah, definitely. Um, from what again, from what I've seen. Uh, I think probably Joe Rodon could be one of the partners mm. he could have in a back four. Yeah. Um it looks like Tanganga is going to be the right back unless mm. Tommy Asu comes in. It looks like Tanganga is going to be the right back so Yep. Uh Joe Rodon I don't know what's happening with Eric Dyer but if Eric Dyer sticks around he could be another guy who who is the person who stays back while Romero's the more aggressive player. If it's a back three, you know, I think that suits him a lot more. I and I genuinely think the way Spurs are going about their recruitment especially now if they get Tomiyasu as well uh it's very well suited to play in a back 3 because Tomiyasu has also played a lot in a back 3 uh for for Bologna and uh, as I said Romero's done that as well Dyer's done that a few times Rodon's done that Ben Davies can play as a left sided center back in a back 3 so I I spoke about this I think uh on a video earlier on the channel as well where I said that I think Nuno's going to go with the back three. It doesn't look like that. It doesn't look like that. He's gone in the pre-season friendlies. He's over 442. Yeah. Maybe it it could be that he's waiting for the recruitment to get done. That might Maybe. be something yeah. that he uh and it it I think it's also a little bit sensible in the sense that uh, Spurs generally played with the back four. I think it makes sense to introduce them to something that they used to at the moment and then maybe try and get them into a, another system which is say a back 3 later on in the season once they've mm. bedded in with the new manager the new coaching staff all of that so maybe that's the case uh but yeah i i do think if spurs do get tomiyasu as well um that uh, they're very well suited to playing with a back 3 and wing backs but it seems like if we go with a back 4 then this is going to be something quite different for romero isn't it he's going to have to adjust like we said so he needs some help from the other center backs in terms of position how far he pushes up how far he drops exactly. back etc yeah. the line so I'm not sure there's anybody in the Tottenham other center backs who could do that. I'm not Sanchez and Dyer need help themselves. So so it will come down to Nuno I think. Nuno himself will have to sort of drill those concepts um into him. Um I don't think the good thing I I wouldn't say the good thing. I don't think the sensible thing to do is to try and curb his aggression. It's a massive part of his game. It's what uh has brought him so much success and it'll actually play pretty well in the Premier League where referees are a lot more lenient than they are in in you know other leagues they let yeah. a lot of stuff go by which you might get uh, whistled for in spain or or italy for example sure. so that sort so of Wayne, thing might help him yeah when you saying i think nuno will start romero with dyer at the back but i think rodon and tanganga would suit playing alongside him yeah i think at the back three with romero 
you know, Romero, Rodon and Tanganga could be good. But then Tanganga, does um, Nuno see him as a centre-back or a right-back? I'm not sure. Yeah, That's an interesting and one. Another thing, another thing I just want to talk about Romero is that uh, when you're playing in a back three and you're one of the centre-backs, you're usually, you will need to also be good on the ball because yep. a lot of ball progression responsibility falls on the centre-backs. Mm-hmm. Romero is not that great at that. If you look at the work he's done at Atlanta, the majority of his passing would be out wide to the wing backs or to his center back partners. He's he's good. He's um, I mean I, I'd say he's good at uh, sort of recycling possession and keeping it ticking, but he's not that great at sort of providing that penetration from deep. He's he can carry the ball forwards, and he's okay at it. He's not great at it. So in that sense, I can see the the logic of playing him in a back four because again. If you're in a back four, you've got midfielders to to pick up the slack in terms of ball progression. If it's yeah, a back yeah. three, I think Romero would probably work as the central centre-back. Again, if Tomiyasu comes in, he's the right-sided centre-back. Tomiyasu is actually very good at progressing the ball. So, I can see that working. But um, ball prog- uh, a lot of ball progression... Uh, I mean, I don't think a lot of ball progression responsibility will fall on Romero because he's not really shown the ability to be good at it so far. Right, right, yeah. So Steve is saying, thanks, Steve. Thanks for your question. Sounds like playing alongside Toby would have been perfect and the whole head alongside him. Rodon is too experienced and Dyer is too hot-headed. What do you say to that, Arshul? Yeah, I think Alderweireld would have been a good um, would have been a good partner, although he's obviously now no longer at Spurs. Uh, that, that could have worked because he has the experience, he has the ball-playing ability. Obviously, we've seen that. Yep. So he could have taken on that side of the game where um, Romero could be the one ste- uh, stepping up, making, doing a lot of the defensive work. But again, I can see that working with Dyer as well because I think Dyer, in my opinion, does better when he's the sweeper in a, in, a, in the sense that he's the guy staying back. Um, so I can see the Dyer-Romero uh, partnership working. I can see the Rodon-Romero uh, partnership working as well. So it's not... It's not um, too bad, to be honest. As I said, there will be a little bit of adjustment required, but his natural game, I think, already suits the Premier League because he is an aggressive centre-back. The physical side of things will not really um, come as a surprise. So, it's just about the timing of a lot of these things and knowing when to step out, when to stay back, knowing the positioning relative to your defenders, relative to the midfielders and all of that. So, that's just, uh, in terms of him bedding into the Spurs team with his teammates with new coaches all of that that's where it'll take time in terms of his adaptation to the Premier League as such in terms of physicality I don't think that's going to be a problem yep uh, Steve is saying I think in time Jaffet Tandango is a centre-back so I agree with you Steve uh, Marino didn't see that so him as a right-back but I think he could be a good centre-back um, just to uh, I've got another here from uh, Wayne Wayne is saying Toby would be an ideal unfortunately I agree. yeah I agree with you 100% Wayne but he's gone now don't we need a centre back? Experienced centre back is we need an experienced centre back. Hundred percent agree, Wayne. But it's Tommy Yasu is not that experienced. He's only what twenty one, twenty two. No, no, no. Oh, Tommy Yasu is oh, older. Tommy. Is he older? Is he Tommy? Tommy okay, fine. Twenty six yeah. or something like that. So Tommy Yasu is actually he's not okay. Not that old. He's he's twenty two, twenty three. Okay, so um, is he the yeah. Wayne is saying we need an experienced centre back? Do you think Tommy Yasu could be that experienced centre back? I mean, now. When you see it, the thing with Tomiyasu that's really impressive is that he's ridiculously flexible. He's played okay. 
in a back three. When I say he's played in a back three, he's played on the right side of the back three. He's played on the left side of the back three. He's played at right wing back, and he and he's played as the right sided centre back in a back four, and he's played as a right back. Oh, okay. And he's done all of this really well. He's he. So it's he's not really like top, Yeah. Yeah, he's. It, there's not a, a drop. There's no drop in performance uh, in terms of you know when he switches positioning, whether he's playing as the right. What's his best position, right, though, Harshal? What's his best position? Again, I. This again goes back to when I when Nuno was first appointed, when we saw the links to Tomiyasu come out. Now that they've signed Romero, I always thought that you know it it will be a back three, especially if Romero comes in and Tomiyasu because I think it's the ideal back three where you've got say either Ben Davies. Or Joe Rodon as a left-sided centre back, Kuti Romero as a centre central centre back, Tommy Asu as a right-sided centre back, with uh, Doherty as the wing back and Rigolon on the other side. You know, Sesenyok can come in and play as a left-sided wing back as well. Um, but if it's a back four, I can see uh, Tommy Asu probably will be the right back. I think. I don't think if it's a back four, I don't think Tommy Asu will play. At centre back, unless needed, unless there there are injuries or players unavailable and that sort of thing, um, I see him playing as a right back in in a back four. But if it's a back three, he'll probably play as the right side of centre back or maybe a right wing back on occasion. Well, we've got another question here for you. Uh, illogical future. Thank you for your question. Brute force, aerial threat, tall target man, Lahavovic or fifth, flary Argentinian dribbler Lautaro. Which one's best? Do you think? A lot of it, a lot of it depends on whether Harry Kane stays or not. Because, yeah. I mean, if Kane stays, then I think um, Lotaro would be a better player to get. If Kane leaves, then I honestly would need both. To be I honest, think you need both, then don't you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But obviously, that's not going to happen. But if Kane leaves, um, I think Vlahovic would be a good option. Not that Lotaro would. Lotaro would also be a very good option. So, the thing is. Now, Lotaro, uh, sorry, Vlaovic, as as um, the question says, he is a very old-fashioned number nine. He he's good. He's really good in the air, but he's also similar to Kane in the sense that he drops off the front line and tries to link with the attacking midfielders and the wingers, and then tries to get into the box and obviously get on the end of crosses and all of that. He's got good control, ball control um, in the box. He's very good. He's a left-footed player. He's very good with his left foot, but he can. Also score with his right, um, but, uh, and and he, as I said, he's that sort of old school target man who you can aim long balls up towards, and he'll win you the ball in the air or or win the second ball and all of that. But in terms Lotaro, of his stats, oh sorry, go ahead. Apologies, go ahead. Yeah, sorry. yeah. Lotaro, on the other hand, um, is is he's in extremely energetic. He'll keep. So one thing to note is that. Um, during his time at Inter, he's played the majority—not uh, even the majority—I'd say almost the entirety of his spell at Inter has been in a two-man strike force with with uh, Romelu Lukaku. So that's very different to leading the line alone. If say, you know, Martinez was asked to play as the as the sole centre forward in a four-three-three or a four-two-three-one, it would be very different to what he's doing or what he's been doing at Inter as part of a front two, um, because what that front two have been doing for Inter is that Lukaku would sometimes be the one stretching the back line, you know, making runs in behind. And then uh, Lotaro Martinez is the guy floating around. Those roles were reversed at times. At times, it would be Lotaro Martinez making the runs in behind and Lukaku dropping deep. 
But when you're the central, you're the only guy, you're the only center forward, you might have to do a bit of both, where, which is what Kane does. Although I think Kane is dropping deep a lot more now rather than running in behind. But uh, Martinez would probably have to do a bit of both. Um, in terms of off the ball, he is insane in terms of his pressing, his work rate. He, 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 he's among the top uh, 15% in, in Europe over the last year, uh, across Europe's top five leagues, I'd say, in terms of uh, pressing, pressing stats. Yeah, so he, again, that, that would have to tie in with what Nuno wants to do. Because if Nuno, um, you know, doesn't really want to press from from um, the front, they, then Lotaro Martinez doesn't really make a lot of sense because pressing is, is, is not just about aimlessly running forwards. You need to time it. You need to know when to uh, press. You need to know what positions to take up. You need to know what your teammates are doing because... And an unorganized press is very easy to play through, and then it just leaves your team vulnerable because you've got five players up the pitch, and you're you're vulnerable to being counterattacked. So, a lot of it will depend on whether Kane stays and what sort of system and what sort of setup Nuno's trying to build at, at Spurs. So, if Kane does leave, it's got to be Lautaro cannot play the single up front on his own. He needs somebody with him, a strike partner. Rough is that what we're saying, really? For, for, maximum, think, for maximum benefit and penetration, he's got to have somebody else with him. Probably. I'm not saying he can't do it, but uh, like, for example... It's not his, his skill set, basically. It's not what he's been doing with Inter. It's not what he's been doing. Yeah, exactly. There's not a lot of... Uh, I'd say there's not a lot of... Uh, it's not a large sample size if you want to look at how Lotaro Martinez could do as a, as a sole striker. But I mean, for example, there are encouraging signs. I mean, he's just 5'8", but he's excellent in the air. He scored, mm. I think... Um, if I'm not mistaken, he scored four-headed goals both last season and the season before in, in Serie A, which is... And he's generally a very good header of the ball. He's one of those guys who's not that tall, but he's very good in the air, you know? So, but again, that that works in the penalty area where... And the reason for that is he's very good in terms of anticipation, movement, making sort of runs where, you know, he'll he'll dart one way and then move the other, sending the defender... You know, to get that extra yard in in the box, and that works in the box because then you get that space for that split second when the ball comes in and you can head it in. But he's not going to be great at you know if you're if you're going to be asking him to hold the ball up or aiming long balls towards him and asking him to win headers against say a Van Dyke for example, he's not going to be able to do that. Excuse me, he's not going to be able to do that. So a lot of it will depend on what style of play Bruno wants to play with because. If it's a fluid front three where you've got, you know, quick players alongside him, he's able to sort of vary his positioning. He can almost play almost as a false nine in the sense that he's dropping off the back line. You've got maybe Son making runs in behind, Lucas Mora, Steven Bergwijn, Brian Hill, these guys making runs in behind. That can work. But if you're asking him to be something like what Kane is, where Kane, Kane is excellent at holding the ball up, Yep, yep. Kane is ex- he's excellent at sort of spreading the play. He's yep. very good at um, being a playmaker and then obviously getting and in and scoring the goals as well. Um, that's not Lotaro's skill set. Lotaro's skill set is in in the box, but outside the box, he he's good at. Uh, as I said, because he's playing with Lukaku in a front two, a lot of times he's been able to get in space because Lukaku is the guy occupying the def- uh, the defenders and he's dropped off and got space. That might not be possible if he's playing as as the lone as a lone striker. Just to finish off on Lataro, and then we'll talk about some other players, but where's the majority of his goals coming? Are they mainly in the box, or basically he's a fox-in-the-box type of player, is he? 
Oh, he ha- he has scored uh, quite a few goals um, from from outside the box. Okay, but but the, as uh, the primary sort of uh, areas from where he scores his goals are are in the box. So okay, um, again, if yeah. I if I if I get back into XG and all of that sort of thing, he had an XG of uh, fourteen last season. He scored fifteen goals. So yep. just he outperformed his XG by just a little bit, but uh, the the major he he took about. 3.7 shots per 90 which is which is a decent number um in terms of if you look at uh, uh across Europe's top 5 leagues i'd say it's actually really good he's in the 95th percentile he's in the top 5% for shots taken among among strikers in in Europe's top 5 leagues over the last year so he yeah. does take a lot of shots um and as i said he's he's good at scoring at, at converting his chances not too many shots from outside the box. The majority of his shots are are from inside, which is why he has a pretty good conversion rate. You know, so yep. no, as, again, yep. like I said, the, his movement, his anticipation, all of that lends itself to being uh, a fox in the box. But he's not a poacher in that sense. He, he, as I said, he he's extremely aggressive off the ball, and he works well if you ask him to press in as part of a coordinated pressing system. So. It'll be interesting if he, if that transfer does go through and and he does come arrive at at Spurs. It'll be interesting to see how Nuno sort of sets up the team to to bring out the best in in Martinez. Yep, yep. And we got some more questions there. Is Dyer the main free kick taker? With the laugh side, I don't think Dyer is going to be a free kick taker. Or for such skill, no, it looks recently. like that. It looks like yeah. that from preseason. From what I've seen in preseason, yeah, it looks that. like Dyer is the yeah. main free kick taker. But I think that's also because Kane's. Not been around, not there, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And also, what do I you think, think about James? I mean, well, he's not really. He's been. We have been. Thank you for that. Illogical. We've been linked with James Ward Prowse. What's he like? I generally don't James think. Ward-Prowse? Yeah. Before I sort of give my views, I don't think James Ward Prowse is leaving Southampton. Southampton mm-hmm. have already lost. Uh, they've lost Ryan Bertrand on a free transfer yeah. to Leicester. They've lost Danny Ings for yep. thirty million, twenty-five million, mm-hmm. which is which is a good price given that mm-hmm. he had just a year left on his contract. But they've lost basically their main goal scorer to to Villa. Yeah. From reports that we're seeing today, Yannick Vestergaard is uh, going to Leicester as well. I don't think they're going to let James Ward-Prowse go as well. He's their captain. He's, I mean, he's been one of the m- most important players of the last say eighteen months or so. So I don't think he's going anywhere. But yeah, in terms of the player, obviously. The set piece threat is massive. He's excellent from dead ball situations, corners, free kicks. We saw that last I mean, season. Did the stats show? Is he the best set piece taker in the Premier League? What did the stats say? He's one of the best. He's one of the best in the league, definitely. Yeah. Okay. On, but but that's from dead ball situations, you know. Yeah, yeah, in of course. Open yeah. Play, yeah, in open play, he's honestly, he's okay. He's he's decent. He's not that great from open play. Mm. Okay, so I've another question from Henry. Um, We've spoken about Lautaro Martinez and Zakaria. Dennis Zakaria is a um, 24-year-old Swiss uh, central midfielder who plays okay. for Borussia Mönchengladbach. Defensive midfielder who plays for yeah. Borussia Mönchengladbach. Okay. Um, I didn't know he'd been linked to Spurs, but uh, he's he's an, he's he's someone who can do a very good job in terms of. Protecting the defense in in terms of sitting in front of the defense, and then you know letting the other guys step up and and do the creative side of things. Yeah. So that would be a good, a decent buy 
but I think that Spurs have that side of things covered with Pierre Hamill Hoybier. So I don't I'll see them one, moving to Zakaria. Yeah, I'll tell you one. Well, I mean, Hoybier, it'd be interesting to see. What do you think Hoybier actually does? I mean, he, he can't really make a forward pass and his movement is not that great, but no, he, that's, he's... That's, no, go on, go on. Yeah, let is finish. that wrong? Sorry, I'm just saying this what other people have said to me. Yeah. He doesn't make a forward pass. His movement is not that great. He's not really a defensive... I mean, he just breaks up play, basically, and give, you know doesn't add anything other than that. Is, what do you think of that? point of view no so again that's an interesting point because that that sort of brings to light the fact that how the manager uses you a lot of times determines what you're doing obviously it determines what you're doing on the pitch but it also determines what the fans look at you like or what your what the the impression is uh, uh, you know that's created Mourinho used him as a defensive midfielder last season he was used as that as you said you know the guy who sort of mop up in front of the back line and just make keep the ball uh, uh, rotating. Pass it sideways, I mean, yeah. Yeah, sideways passing or basically recycle possession, give it on to the guy, to somebody else to try and create stuff. But that was the role he was asked to do by Mourinho. I thought he did a really good job at it. Um, but, I mean, if, if any of our viewers so, looked at Denmark during the Euros, he was playing as part of a double pivot for, for Denmark when they switched to a back three. And he was fantastic because he was the creative threat for Denmark. He was the guy getting forward. He was the guy making line-breaking passes. He was the guy sort of um, doing a lot of the creative stuff centrally for Denmark. And he was very good at it. And that's that's essentially what I'm getting at. I mean, I'll, I'll sort of also bring up a little bit of his history. He's played under Pep Guardiola at Bayern Munich, where um, if if anybody has not read the book, please have a, have a read of Pep Confidential by... Mati Pernarau, it's, hmm. uh, it's, it, it's essentially the, the breakdown of Pep's first season at Bayern Munich, the 2013-14 season. And it's, he's, uh, Marty got access to uh, the training ground Pep. He's had, he's, where he's had conversations with Pep, the coaching staff, the players, all of that. And Pep Guardiola believed that um, at that time, Pierre-Emil Hoiberg was 17 or 18 years old. He was just coming through the Bayern Academy. Uh, Pep Guardiola believed that Pierre-Emil Hoiberg was, could, have, could potentially be one of the best midfielders in the world because he was so good at receiving the ball under pressure. He was so good at his positioning, knowing when, where and when to position himself to pick up the ball and then make forward passes. And, that, you know, he was uh, Pep wanted to sort of, I wouldn't say build the team around him, but he was very, very um, enthusiastic about Hoiberg. So that's the sort of, um, you know, so he's got it in his locker, but he needs to be able yeah, to get that has, from the manager. Exactly. He's got it in his locker. He, yeah, that's a good point. Exactly. Good. He, he has good that. Player. And he showed that with Denmark at the yeah, Euros. So it's, it, it's, yeah. it's a question of letting him be, uh, you know, it's a question of what Nuno is going to do with him <laughs> at, yeah, okay. as the season goes on. Sure. So let's talk about another player signing we've made. Brian Hill. I think the G is pronounced Hill. Um, yeah. And we sold him. Well, we got rid of Eric Lamella and now we've got Brian Hill in. So what is Brian Hill going to bring us that Eric Lamella potentially didn't give to us? What's the value of bringing Brian Hill in? So he's, what, 20 years old? Yeah. Excuse me. Um, he's already been capped, I think, two or three times by the Spanish senior side. He was part of the Spain side that um, lost in the Olympics final yep. just about a few days ago to, to Brazil. So he has an yep. Olympic silver medal now. Um, he's... He's one of a dying breed of players, I'd say, because he's one of the f- very few pure wingers that you'll see at the top level. Because 
almost every winger that you see nowadays is in is an inverted winger where they look to come cut inside come in field yeah. where they where they're playing on the opposite side of the strong foot so essentially if you're playing on the left it's you're a right footed player if you're playing on the right you're a left footed player because you're looking okay, to come okay that's inside. what inverted wingers mean yeah okay yeah yeah hill is very much an old school winger he's left footed and he plays on the left he oh, hugs right, the okay. touch he he'll hug the touch line and sort of try and get crosses into the box you know he's very much an old school old fashioned winger in that sense if you look at st- uh, his uh, sort of statistical profile um he was in the top 2% he ha- he was in the 98th percentile for crosses among all wingers in the top 5 european leagues last year where yeah. um he was on loan at ibar in la liga uh, from sevilla ibar were relegated he he uh, you know he was obviously on loan there he's gone back to sevilla and now uh he's he's come on a permanent deal dispersed so i even had a team like aiba who would not you know um obviously towards the top end of the of la liga they they weren't a, a very good attacking side he was still as i said he was in the top 2% for crosses delivered across ev- all wingers in the top 5 european leagues if you look at dribbling he was in the top 10% he was in the 90th percentile for dribbles attempted so this is as i said you know he's he's a very much an old school winger he's very good at taking players on dribbling past them he's very good at carrying the ball when i say carrying the ball um i, I it's i'm not talking about dribbling dribbling is where you sort of try and get past a player and that's the dribble but carrying the ball is where you pick up the ball and you progress with the ball at your feet you know considerable uh, distances think of, yeah yeah no, i understand that yeah yeah so he's think of Messi. bill yeah bill is saying he's like waddle uh, you know chris waddle was a typical old style winger where he just took the ball on his left and crossed it so he's basically like a a, a new chris waddle so um what about goals how many goals can we expect from brian hill is he you know i mean typically now, in a season now see he's a good finisher he's mm. he's got the ability to uh, to score goals but this is one of his weaknesses where okay I, i don't know if it's a weakness as such but it's a blend of the fact that he he's as i said because he looks to stay wide he doesn't get into goal scoring positions too often because obviously when you're out wide you're not yeah, yeah, near exactly. the goal you're not near the goal mouth right hmm. he does tend to come infield sometimes on some occasions you will find him in the sort of left central spaces the half space on the left side where he's trying to combine with uh, with his teammates and the full back is overlapping but more often than not it's hill who's the guy who's stretching the play on the left on the left flank so uh, he scored i think uh, just let me have a look he scored uh, four goals last season against an xg total of 4.22 so more or less matched his xg total but that xg total also tells you that it's not like he got into a lot of good goal scoring positions in the first place you know so it i i don't think you can expect too many goals in that sense if he's especially if he's used in a similar role because if yeah. nuno uses him as that out and out winger on the left then he's not really impo- going to get into the box. Yeah, so the important one for me is assists. So how many assists did he get last year? Last season? He 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 got excuse me, he got four assists but he had an expe- expected assist tally of 7. So mm-hmm. it was his teammates finishing that let him down a little bit and again I'd like to look at a couple of other statistics to gauge his creativity because yep. um when you when you look at uh, FBRF again there's something called uh, shot creating actions which is essentially the the two actions prior to a shot being taken that are credited to the player so 
these actions can be dribbles, passes, uh, ball recoveries, that sort of thing. So say, for example, if Harry Kane took a shot, what were the two actions immediately before that shot was taken? Was it so if Brian Hill sort of dribbled past a player and then passed to Harry Kane and then Harry Kane takes a shot, that though that sequence of the just the two previous actions before a shot taken, that's that sort of that sort of helped create that shot, right? So when you look at shot created creating actions per ninety um, across the top five uh, European leagues, he was um, in the top fifteen, fourteen odd percent. I think seventy six percentile for shot creating actions among the top five uh, European leagues for wingers. He was in the ninetieth percentile for passes into the penalty area. Again, that's not just including. I mean, that includes crosses. And as I said, he was he's been one of the most high volume crossers across Europe. But that that also includes just generally passes into the penalty area. So um, his his creativity, uh, you know, he, he it's not like he's uh, not a creative player. He he can create chances. And as I said, his main threat comes from his dribbling and ball carrying. When you look at uh, as I said, uh, the FBRF sort of breaks down the SCA as well, the short creating actions into short creating actions from passes from dribbling. So you can see exactly what are the actions where a player is, um, you know, proficient at creating chances or creating shots for his teammates. And when you look at SCA from dribbling, when you look at shot created, creating actions from dribbling, he's in the 91st percentile across the top five European leagues. Yep. Wingers. Yep. So, and so, he's very similar, I'd say, in that aspect, he's very similar to Jack Grealish. Because hmm. Jack Grealish is also someone who's who's very good at taking players on and going past them and creating chances. And that's what you can expect from Brian Hill. But the only difference being while Grealish will sort of, if he's playing on the left, he comes infield. You're more likely to see Brian Hill go outside the fullback or stay wide and cross the ball in. What about penalties? Is he is he in the box? Is he, did he make defenders give, give away penalties or free kicks? Is Again, he one of the most fouled players? He does. He does get fouled a little bit. Um, but as I said, because he's usually out wide, he's yeah. not he's not someone who you can sort of expect maybe penalties from. So, and even in terms of fouling, it's not like he drew too many fouls. But I'd I'd actually put down put that down to the fact that he's very good at getting past the player. So he doesn't give the player the opportunity to foul him. He's gone past the player before the, before sure, they sure. can foul him. And what formation did Ibar play? Was it a four four two or three five two or what? It was. It was. It was. Maj- uh, the majority of times, it was a back four. So he was either just on a winger. The four four two maybe. Yeah. Four four two, four three three, four two three one, whatever it may be. He was that old-fashioned winger um, on the right, uh, on the left. Sorry. So, in what situations can you see Nuno playing him? I mean, would he play maybe in the Europa Champion, Europa Conference League, or? You know, maybe second rear cup. He's not really ready. Do you think he's ready for the Premier League now or not? Yeah, I think, again, as with every new signing, he's, he's, and he is, again, just 20 years old. So there will be a period of betting in. So towards the start of the season, I expect to see him used again, mainly probably in the Europa Conference League, mainly maybe in the, in the, in the Carabao Cup because, yes. um, Obviously, the FA Cup starts in January, so the half, more or less half the season would have gone by by then. I do expect him to him to feature in the league a little bit, but uh, it'll all depend on how he settles into the group, how he's performing in training, what sort of system Nuno wants to deploy, and when I, not even system, what sort of roles Nuno wants. Because 
um i mean there is it's not like uh, nuno doesn't like this sort of player i mean when you look at wolves he's used adama traore in a, who's a who's a pretty similar player because traore is also someone who stayed out wide on the right very good at dribbling absolutely rapid and that's what he would do under nuno at wolves where he'd stay out wide on the right and get past players and cross the ball although his role did evolve as time passed where he was sometimes used even as a part of the of the front two where if you if nuno played with a 352 he was uh, traore played at times as one of the two strikers he's played at times as part of a front three when they've played a 343 so it it depends on how um you know nuno is able to uh build up his his profile as part of the as part of the spurs uh, squad do you think um uh do you think nuno as uh, do you think hill is a nuno player as 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 nuno bought players like hill you mentioned adama traore but he's a bit of a freak cuz the guy's built like a boxer and he can run like 100 meters more faster than anybody but is 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 hill a, a nuno type of player or do you think this is somebody paratici has brought in and now nuno has to work with him i think it's more of more of a paratici buy than nuno because i think it's one that's been um scouted for for some time and and brought in whether by yeah. uh, uh, paratici is someone who's who's been uh you know who's who's a bit of a football nerd in the sense that there have been reports of him watching football throughout the week during his time at juventus and uh, he is someone i think who would have had uh hill on his radar mm. but in terms of so the thing is in terms of nuno nuno has worked with younger players at wolves as well you know you've got pedro neto daniel podens in as part of the current squad at, at wolves as well who he worked with last season uh fabio silva who's what 18 and arrived at uh, wolves as their record signing yep. last season so and and he does give them confidence he does give them that that platform to go out and try and express themselves but they do obviously need to fit into the tactical framework that he's trying to build so as i said it will come down to how, how he performs in training and what sort of system uno wants to deploy but i can definitely see say hill being one of the guy part of a front three for example if 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 it's a 433 or even a 4231 he can be the guy sort of stretching play on the left and then assuming kane stays for example you've got kane as the striker you've got maybe son playing off kane as a sort of withdrawn forward or you can have bergwijn or lucas on the right so it'll be interesting to see how that develops but i i definitely don't think he's going to start the season in the 11 in yeah. the first choice 11 it'll take a while a lot, for him to get there is he got a lot of pace is he a fast winger yeah he is quite fast he is okay. as i said yeah. he that that ties into his dribbling skills sure, which is why sure. i i think it'll work pretty well if um you know if spurs play with a in a counter attacking style if they're playing in a in a transition based approach where you know it's fine if the opposition has more of the ball but when we get the ball back we're going to counter attack we're going to uh, attack at pace vertical passing get the ball forwards quickly he will be extremely good in that style of play if it's a more possession based style um it may require a little bit more adjustment because again ibar were a team that played a little bit on the counter attack it might require a little bit more adjustment from from hill again not yep. saying that he can't do it but yep. he'll thrive i think in my opinion if it's a transition based approach yeah we got some comments bill is saying if you're good enough you're old enough i agree 100% bill 
If you're good enough, you're old enough. I 100% agree with that. Henry is made a comment here now. He wouldn't want Adama Traore. I have a feeling we're going to get more Portuguese players due to Nona. What do you think about that? Are we going no, to get more no. Portuguese players because of the Jorge Mendes tie-up and everything like that? And what do you think um, about the what, fact so the that thing is, is Adama Traore a good signing for Tottenham or not? Um, Not really, because I think mm. Spurs have enough for Bingos. Yeah. Assuming nobody from the from the attacking sort of department gets sold, so you've yeah. got you've got Bergwijn, you've got uh, Lucas, you've got Hill, you've got Son, you've got four yeah. wingers there. Yeah. Um, can play on the wing as well, uh, yeah. further up the field. Uh, so there, I don't really think there's a need to get another winger in. Um, in terms of the Portuguese influence, the thing is that Wolves, um, Jorge Mendes had a much, he had an active role in recruitment. He had he 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 he's he's got. Uh, I mean, he was part of. I mean, he wasn't part of it officially, but he was. He has close links to Fosun, the Chinese sort of conglomerate that own Wolves. Uh, so the the deal that was made when Wolves were bought by Fosun, I think Jorge Mendes had a part to play in that, and he's been part of their framework ever since, which is why he's. You've seen that sort of Portuguese, um, you know, the the influx of Portuguese players at Wolves because of yeah. Jorge Mendes and Nuno, obviously. Yeah. But I don't think it's the same thing at, at Spurs because okay. Nuno's obviously one guy. Jorge Mendes yeah, is his agent. It could be a little bit agent-driven in that sense, but because you've got Fabio Paratici, who is going to be the director of football, yeah. I would think that it's not going to be that sort of Portuguese influence because Wolves are a separate case altogether where they, they, yeah. they've embraced that uh, Jorge Mendes approach, whereas that's not the case here. Sure, sure, sure. No, that's a good point, actually. Thanks for that, Henry. Uh, we've got Grandpa Stevens. Grandpa, thank you very much for joining. Really appreciate that, taking the time to join the stream. I hope you're keeping well. What's Grandpa saying? I think Gil is possibly one of those let's wait and see signings. Yes, I agree. That the whole club would have signed off on. We haven't taken enough risk in that way in recent times. We learned some lessons. Harshul, your thoughts on that? Let's wait and yeah, see signings. Because, no, it works, right? Because he's, as I said, he's 20. There's no, and he, he's been someone who's who's come into the spotlight over the last year or so, people, a lot of uh, people in football have sort of sat up and taken notice of him. So it's not a bad deal at all, I think, to get him in. Uh, and you've get, uh, you've let Eric Lamella go as well, who is who was a good player, who had his moments, who offered a lot. But I think Spurs, as a club, where they are at the moment, I think the way to forward is to try and get these sort of younger, hungry and sort of, you know, upcoming talents, because if you can develop them, you have, it, it serves a lot of purposes. You know, you can have a squad that's developing and growing together. You can have a squad that's uh, sort of building together to to then try and challenge towards Champions League places and all of that. And obviously younger players mean that they have resale value, which if a, if a club yeah. comes along and makes an offer, you can, you can sell them for good money. I mean, one of the best examples of that that I can see is... Uh, the Ben White's transfer to to Arsenal from from Brighton, fifty million, you know, for for the twenty three twenty four year old centre back. So yep. that's the sort of thing that that I mean, it, it, Spurs unfortunately are not part of the absolute elite of English football at the moment. And the, and I think the way to go forward is to embrace that and to try and make these sort of signings where you can then obviously capitalize on their potential. If a club comes in and offers a, a, a big sum of money because they're a young player with potential and they're performing well, great. If not, then you have the chance to develop them rather than, you know, spending money on on players who who 
are older or maybe you know even i wouldn't say past it but where you're paying massive transfer fees or if not transfer fees you're paying massive wages because that model i think is not the way forward Sure, sure. Okay, the last one in the signings is Pierre Luigi Gallini. I know we spoke about him previously, but um, question I have for you is: Is he really going to challenge Lloris for the top spot, or is he just going to play in the cup games and the games that where we're, we're going to rest Lloris? What's your view on that? So initially, obviously, Lloris is the first choice; he's captain, but he is getting on in terms of age, and I think there are a few errors creeping in a little bit into his game not too much but it it's just that initial signs that you can see of of a little bit of a decline happening yeah the so, reflexes going yeah not not i wouldn't say the I mean, reflexes be, but what i mean about, by that is being beaten at the near post and stuff like that i fair fair but i would honestly say that it's a lot of his errors come from um playing out from the back at times uh, yeah we can't sort of play time. very well he's not good with the ball at his feet is he he's he's good he's not too bad but he has that tendency of making an error yeah so i mean gulini is someone who's he's he's 26 and on uh, to be on uh, you know he he actually spent time in england previously he was on manchester yeah. united's books manchester, for a couple of seasons yeah. uh i believe he didn't uh, sort of i i don't remember the reason why united we let go of him i think it was either a work permit issue or basically that we had top class goalkeeping talent available already but he he went on to to italy again and he sort of proven himself massively over the last couple of seasons at atalanta he actually had a falling out with uh, gian piero gasperini earlier this season where he was benched for a few games brought back into the side but the relationship between gulini and gasperini had sort of broken down which is why they've sold him which is why not sold him i mean obviously it's a, it's a loan it's a loan with a view to a permanent transfer yeah which is yeah, i think I, it's I a, it's, it's 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 a risk free option for tottenham buy it get him exactly. on loan pays wages if he doesn't do well send him back to atlanta yeah the the i th- i believe the uh, the deal is that uh, if he plays 20 games i think the deal uh, it will become a permanent transfer okay but, um but in that sense yeah i mean if he does play 20 games it tell, it tells you that he's that he's done well right so uh he's he's uh, he's a pretty good solid keeper as i said proved his uh, uh, ability at atalanta and if you want to look at statistics uh he's just above average in terms of so i'd, I'd actually like to bring in a stati- uh, uh, another stat- uh, metric that's used in in football which is linked to xg so now we've i've explained earlier on a on a on an earlier video what xg is the thing with xg is that it's measured before the shot is taken what i mean not before the shot is taken but it it doesn't take into account where the shot is in terms of where it's on goal so now an xg say for example a shot has an xg value of 0.25 what that basically means is that it has a 25% chance of going in but what is that based on that's based on where the shot is taken from where defenders are positioned which foot the player took the shot from um whether it was a header or whether it was a shot with his foot all that sort of thing there there it's a there are mathematical models that work that sort of thing out based on historical data and you get that value of okay that shot has a value of 0.2 but i mean the player could have put it over the bar right so it had a value of 0.2 but it's not gone it's not even on target so another way of looking at shots is something called post shot xg 
or PSXG. What that does is that looks at the shot and it's XG in that sense after it has been taken. So automatically, every shot that is not on target has a post-shot XG of zero because obviously if it's not on target, there's, it's got zero chance of going in. Yep, yep. So every shot that's not on target has a post-shot XG of zero. For shots that are on target, they're given a post-shot XG value based on where they're placed. So if it's a shot that's in that posted stamp, you know, the top corner, yep, yep. it'll have a much higher post-shot XG value than something that's central that can, or at, you know, at a height that can be saved easily. Again, mathematical, mathematical models that have looked at shots from, you know, across uh, time, you know, uh, it's a massive sample size and, and you arrive at probabilities based on that. And one of the best examples I can think of to illustrate this is actually the goal, if, if you guys remember, the goal that Harry Kane scored, I believe it was against Palace last season, where yep. he he sort of hit a shot first time across the goalkeeper into the corner. It was sort of bent into the corner. It was a really good goal, I remember. I believe yep. it was a pass from the right and he runs onto it and whips it into the far corner. That shot had an XG value of, I believe, 0.05. So based on where it was taken from, which foot, defender's positioning, all of that, it had a 5% chance of going in. But based on where Kane put it, based on where the ball went into the net, it had a 55% chance of going in. What I'm trying to say is that the post-shot XG of that particular shot was 55%. So post-shot XG is actually very valuable in two ways. One, when you're looking at strikers to look at their finishing, because if you're someone whose sort of post-shot XG is high and that tells you that you're, you're that you're putting the that you're a good finisher that you're putting the ball in the net in, in areas the right positions keepers, yeah in in areas where the keeper can't save it and yep. again that then also obviously means that you can look at goalkeepers in the same way if you if you look at goals conceded versus the post shot xg if you're a player who's for whom that number is a negative and in uh, in the sense that uh, your post shot xg is actually higher or the post-shot XG that you've, that you've faced is higher than the goals that you've conceded. That means that you're saving more goals than an average goalkeeper would have. That's also basically, this might be something that people would have seen on social media and stuff where a lot of times you'll see a, a metric called um, goal saved by a keeper, average goal saved, where Hugo Lloris was actually top of that metric. He's, he, on average, last season in the Premier League, he saved five more goals than the average Premier League goalkeeper would have. And that's basically based on post-shot XG. His post-shot XG total that he had faced, minus the goals that he had conceded, came out to a little over five, positive five. Which meant that he had saved, on average, he had saved five more goals than the average Premier League goalkeeper. And he was top of the Premier League for that, in terms of uh, that metric in the Premier League last season. So, when you look at Golini, Golini... Um, Last season for Atalanta, conceded 26 goals, but he had, I think he had a post-shot XG. Sorry, he, uh, I can't find this. Yeah, he had a post-shot XG of around 25. So it's not too much of a difference. It's not too bad. Yeah, he conceded 26 goals. He had a post-shot XG of 25. So his, his uh, he, he had a little bit, of a negative there, he might have conceded just about one goal than he would have been expected to concede. But yeah, that's not one more too goal, bad. Yeah. That, yeah, yeah, that's that puts him at about average in this in Serie A. So 
that is an area where he needs to improve one area where he's really good at is coming out and claiming the ball right from crosses from corners that's that's one area where loris has a bit of a weakness he's very weak area, loris he never comes for stuff yeah exactly and when he does come he tends to sort of spill it flap or not it. gather yeah, it cleanly yeah 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 gulini is brilliant at coming and claiming crosses he is okay one of the best in serie a at coming for the ball so if again that's that sort of dials into the approach that that spurs want to take if it's that sort of aggressive approach where the keeper comes and takes everything gulini is perfectly suited for that in terms of his goal sort of goal saving that's something that can be worked on i think in terms of work uh, on the training uh, uh, on the training field but the clear difference with loris is where he is excellent at coming in uh, coming for balls in the air where that's a clear weakness that loris has yeah and what about in terms of penalty saves is galidi what's his record in penalties i will have to look that up i don't have that in front of me right okay. now okay but he's but, a lot yeah. taller than um, loris isn't he yeah and again that's that's something that aids him when i'm talking about coming and claiming for uh, coming and claiming crosses so that that sort of adds into the profile that he has uh, where uh, he can uh, be so good in the air uh, as compared to loris so in terms of the squad we have this year and let's assume kane is still there is it a lot stronger than what we had last year or you know we've lost lamella we've lost toby alderweireld we're, we're probably going to lose some of the other players what's your view about that again assuming kane stays i think it's a it's a pretty decent squad i think spurs could do with uh, one definitely a center back which again if we've got tomiyasu coming in will be solved there uh i think they need a creative midfielder i don't know if they're going to get one but other than that i think there's a good balance in terms of the attacking players that spurs have i think uh, dele ali will uh, i wouldn't say it's a make or break season but he has the potential and depending on uh, just looking at how he's played in pre-season i think this could be another sort of impressive season from dele ali if you remember obviously spurs fans will remember the way he broke into the spurs team and how brilliant he was when he first came in i think the way he's looked in pre-season dele ali could be a massive massive player for spurs this season so overall uh it's a good squad nuno obviously is a is an excellent manager but it depends again there's still a lot unknown in terms of how he wants to play when the big games start you know not just in pre-season we've seen stuff in pre-season but when the big games come around when um players like kena back in and assuming they stay what's the overall style of play is is something that will determine uh, that will determine a lot this season okay excellent also well welcome to matias and juan pablo from buenos aires thanks guys for joining appreciate your time we've had some good chat with uh, harshal about you know the different players in terms of the statistics and all that um now that you're here would you want to give us some your your views on cuti uh, romero this great argentinian that we've signed he's going to be fixing our defense jp do you want to start on that give us your feedback on cuti and how you think he's going to do harshal you know feel free to stay or if you have to go you know it's up to you but you're most welcome to stay yep, i want to let mati uh start but okay. thanks for the invitation it's great to be here again with, with you guys No, it was good to have you guys here. Well, first of all, Welcome, thank Maddie. you. Good evening. Uh, good, good evening. afternoon to Juan Pablo. Um, and yes, obviously we are uh, really uh, thankful to have 
at least one world-class centre-back as Cuti Romero. Yeah. And I think he will be a great change uh, in terms of uh, he's really good uh, individually, but also I think he would be, um, he would make uh, his, I don't know which, uh, who is going to be uh, the left centre-back, uh, I don't know, Rodan or whichever. I think they will have a great performance with Cuti Romero uh, at their side because he's uh, he has a great confidence and he has a great timing. And obviously, is if he starts with he begins his career in Tottenham with some errors or with some uh, mistakes, it would be different. But what we saw in in the national team in Argentina is since the first second. Uh, he's really confident uh, with the ball, without the ball, uh, when when having to to make interceptions or tackles, he's uh, a perfect player. Uh, what we have seen in Argentina, obviously, in Atalanta, we knew there was an Argentinian center back that was playing uh, really good, but we didn't know uh, how good he was. And I think, although. Uh, the price uh, Tottenham uh, uh, bought uh, Cuti Romero is a little bit high. Uh, we also have to to know that uh, the prices that uh, are paid nowadays with White, with Baran also, that Cuti Romero with forty-two million um, pounds and those variables. Also, I think it's. A good price, a little overpriced, but it would be a, a great a positive change in the Tottenham centre-backs. That is the, our priority, always said, uh, the, the position we need to change. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. JP, did you want to say anything? Yeah, so from the start in the national team, we saw that he was the difference maker uh the back. And even though he played on three at the back in Atalanta, he was able to uh, adapt so quickly in the national team that it was effortless. And in those games that he wasn't in, his his non-presence was felt so much. Um, And regarding his position-making, I would say he's still learning. He even said it, that he's learning a lot from Gasparini and his positional awareness is yet not the best. Um, but it's also the the point in which we are expecting to have like a Danganga type of player alongside him more than Dyer or the usual Davinson Sanchez. Um, because it could benefit, right? Because I think Kuti can be the leader if given someone that will hear him. And if you put Kuti, which is 23 years old, next to someone that has been performing, even though at not the greatest level, has been performing in the league for so many years, um, it might be a challenge because Dyer might not want to 
um, be playing second fiddle to to Kuti and same with Sanchez. They they are gonna try to be the leaders themselves when we don't need that because we have already seen that they're not those leaders that we want. Um, yep, no. So that, yeah. yeah, so Kuti is a great great purchase. Um, unbelievable. We were so happy with Madi, like going through Twitter the whole day to see it. It said, Fabrizio said, here we go. Um, because it's one of those moves that really set you for the present, but also for the future. Um, so let's hope we now get a good partner. Um, at the center back spot or a good right back uh, if Tanganga is finally given his deserved chance? Well, this is one of the questions I had for Matty and you. Matty, I'll start with you. Who is going to, if let's say we assume we play, so there's two scenarios. Um, in pre-season, Nuno has been playing a 4-4-2, but he's also the option of playing, you know, three at the back. If we play 4-4-2, who do you guys think is the best partner for QT? Because let's assume QT is always going to start. And if we play in the back three, who are the partners going to be? What's your views on that? Matty, what do you think? Um, I don't know, because uh, Joe Rodon last season, uh, before Mourinho left, was our best centre-back, I think. And he used to play in, in the left side in Swansea. Yep. And so I think uh, he would be a, a great uh, uh, partner. But also, I think his partner should be a new player in Tottenham, a new a new transfer, because okay. we all know uh, Eric Dyer and Davinson Sanchez. Maybe they may have a great match or two great matches, but we we know they in some way they they are gonna make a mistake or something. We we just know them how how they are. So I think if it's not Joe Rodon that we have not seen seen him yet, uh, if it's not him, I think there should be another another investment there in the center back spot, and because that's what information uh, was was saying that we we were looking for another player uh, for another player in that position. Okay, okay, yep. So, I mean, so QT would normally play in the middle of a back three, is that correct? Yes, I think yeah. I think he he can also play in, in both sides. Well, is, uh, is he left-footed left or right-footed? Right. He's uh, right-footed. Right foot. And he can play the right stopper. Well, right, okay, fine, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we should yeah. hopefully get... Uh, do you think maybe if we get Tomiyasu as a right-back, right of a back three... Then we get Cutie in the middle and maybe Rodon on the left. That could be a good back three. What's your view on that? Um, we're you hoping so. that we don't get uh, we don't get Tomiyasu. <laughs> you don't like Tomiyasu, yeah? It's not that we don't like the player. It's a super plaster requirements because um, he has like the same traits that Tangang has. Yeah, he used to be a centre back. He now plays more in the right back. He's more defensive than offensive. The only difference is that Tomiyasu is taller 
and has one more year of development under his belt. Mm. That's the only difference that they have between those players. And again, I think the display that Tanganga had the other day at the right back position was was really good. And he even assisted uh, Sonny. So um, I I don't think what else you can expect when, as Mati said, you need another one that can also give you um, muscle in the center of the defense. And that's why Bestergaard, that now is uh, about Lester, to sign with Leicester, um, yeah. Yeah, was ideal because he was super tall, he had experience, and he was the leader in the Premier League. And we need someone like that. And we know that Lewis Dunk, for example, it's going to cost a fortune, so that's not an option now. So you're getting into a very short list of potential leaders um, that can really push this team one more level because let's not kid ourselves. Uh, Le- Leicester without Fofana gives us a shot at the fifth spot. And if Manu or Liverpool or some of the other teams don't gel so well or something happens like injuries, you have a fighting chance for that fourth spot if you really buy another leader because. But- don't forget, last season we had historic seasons from Kane, Charisse, and Son. With just a respectable defense, we would have done so much better. Yeah, I agree with you. I 100% agree with you. So, Matty, who do you think would be, who do you want us to buy as a centre back partner for QT Romero then? Um, I don't know who, who I want. Uh, I know. Who do you think we should uh, buy? Um, if you want to think about it, I'll go to Juan Pablo and let him answer. Um, I mean, Vestergaard, I think it's too slow. He's tall, but I think he's just too slow. I'm not I think sure it's he for Mourinho, Vestergaard, but I don't know him really in deep. But I thought as a, I thought him as a centre-back for Mourinho, those uh, near yeah. the I think who would be ideal was Milan Skriniar would be ideal, but I don't know if Inter are going to sell him. But... We've got a question from uh, Silence here about is there a chance we're getting Martinez or no? So what do you reckon, guys? I mean, we've heard a lot of rumours about Lautaro and Martinez. What do you guys hear from Argentina, etc.? What's the latest on that? Well, here from Argentina is not uh, the best information. I think the best information always uh, will be, in this case, in Italy, yeah. uh, with Fabrizio Romano, along, and all, uh, Di Marzio and all this this uh, journalist and and I think uh, it would be a, a great player and I think the greatest signing in Tottenham history but <laughs> obviously it is a great investment uh, it's around I think 80 million euros uh, yeah so there's a lot of money by... involved in there yeah do you think he would want to come to Tottenham uh, I I heard uh, uh, of him that he likes uh, Spain and he does not like much uh, Premier League. But yeah. obviously, when when it comes to money or when it 
comes to another sort of things is a great difference. And I think uh, he he should think about that. Uh, but I think he if if the money is there, uh, he should be he would be uh, very interesting in coming to to London. Would it help to have uh, Gio Lo Celso and Cuti Romero at the club? Will that make a difference for him? Well, I, I think yes. Uh, well, Cuti Romero said in, in his uh, welcoming interview that he was uh, very that Lo Celso was very persuasive with with him. He, they talked about uh, the the club, the the training center, the all those. Uh, things that make Tottenham different, and, and I think it's it's a great uh, difference Tottenham has with with another clubs uh, to have uh, a little group group of Argentinians. Yep. Okay. Um, what I mean in terms of the business, what's your thoughts on the business we've done so far, Juan Pablo? So we bought Brian Hill, we've bought uh, Cutie Romero. We bought Pierre Luigi Golini. What do you think about that? Are you happy with those boys? I think it's like very nice business so far. They have been getting so much money out of the door uh, at this point um, in contracts only. Like you have gain fees for Foyth, Toby, um, Showheart. Now, even um, today, Denis Sirkin and big contracts that have gone away, like Toby, Rose, Lamela, Bales, <laughs> even Showheart. Uh, we were looking with Madi, and it's supposed that Cody Romero is going to earn less than what Showheart was earning <laughs> last year. And we were like, what's going on? Uh, mm. How could he pull this off so it's been like a very uh, savvy business so far um, because money was tight and so far we're in profit um, because even the goodies transfer is a loan with um, like an obligation to buy yep. Yep. so yep. that means that you don't have to pay right now. And all the yeah. money that you have been getting, you still have it for another players. Yeah, and yeah. if you still sell more like Wings, Sissoko, Rier, Dyer, that's all funds to keep buying. Yeah, the only thing is who wants to buy those players, I don't know. But um, <laughs> oh, Matty's back. Hi, Matty. Um, yeah. Matty, we've got a question here. I want to get your views on that. Um I feel like the next signings we should make this is some silence. Thank you. We should check Mishkrinya, Tomiyasu, Damsgaard, or Noni, Mandukela. Would you do you guys agree? What's your views on that, Matty? Well, uh, I think Noni Malweke is uh, would be a great signing, and obviously he was uh, brought up in in the Southern Academy, so it's it's it would be great to have it back. Yeah. So because mainly because he's having a great season, I think uh, last uh, Sunday, I think it was, uh, he made two goals against Ajax, mm -hmm. and it's uh, um, a right winger, something mm -hmm. that we need since uh, Bale left uh, 
I think eight years ago. And about Damsgaard, obviously, uh, we all were surprised in in the Euros. So it would be something interesting. We I don't know if we need midfielders uh, mm. nowadays with with the squad we have. We have. I think but... the reason, there, uh, Matty, is because the was the future of um, Andombele is uncertain now. So maybe mm-hmm. if he leaves. Yes, sure. But also, well, he talks about Screener. I think we are a little bit... Uh, we, we just have uh, done a great investment. Obviously, it is a loan, so it will be paid uh, next year. But with Cuti Romero, I think we, we've done a great investment. And I don't know if they're going to put the money uh, another time. Uh, mm. But yes, Tomiyasu, I think it's a cheaper option. And I don't know if it would be a great signing, but it would be uh, a player that uh, may cover uh, some spaces in the defense. Yep. So let's all speak about these guys. If... um. If Harry Kane does leave, and we don't know if he's going to leave or not, uh, Martinez but is not used to playing as a sole striker, I've been understood. So he normally plays as a... Is that correct or not? He can't That's play correct. as a sole striker. Yeah. So who would you, I, who, who would you I'm guys... I'm going to let Mati talk about Martinez because yeah. he's the expert, because he saw him uh, in his come-out party in Racing. But yeah, he's definitely... Uh, what I'm going to say is he's not... Uh, number nine, the mm. prototypic uh, Calvert Lewin would be a great striker, pro, like the certified number nine that can head, can bully defenders, can go against anyone, has pace. So, if we were to go for a typical number nine, uh, if it were me, I would go for Calvert Lewin because we know Haaland and Mbappe are impossible. So then you have to go with the different options. But it sounds a lot that Blachowicz, um it's also an option, and he's like very tall, can head. So that could very well be another possibility. But Madi, it's your time to talk about Martinez. Yeah. Tell us all the insights about Martinez, Mati. Come on, I've been told you know a lot about him. Well, I know him since, I think, uh, 2016, when he started his career in Racing, that is the club that I support in Argentina. So I know him very well. Um, in his beginnings, uh, he was, he had, I think it was, uh, the season 2017 18, in which, uh, he had, well, in the Libertadores. Uh, he had two or three matches where, where he uh, had a hat trick and he scored many goals uh, there. He was um, really, really near to to go with, to the World Cup with Argentina. Uh, the San Paoli, which was the Argentinian manager, uh, went I think like five times to to watch him in in live in the stadium. Um, but after after that se- that season, he he left to to Inter. Uh, he his first uh, season, like you said, uh, he had to to fight for his place with Icardi, and he played 
as a as a he played lonely in 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 the number nine and it wasn't that good that season but then in 20 in 1920 and 2021 that was these last two seasons uh, he was uh, amazing with Lukaku and that's my main um, conflict with Lautaro uh, in Argentina with this uh, last month in the Copa America we've seen him as the only number nine of the team and he 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 was really uh, he he could not uh, make uh, the difference uh, to to his level to his uh, game because uh, he, I think he needs uh, someone uh, alongside him that is the goal scorer and he can also be a, a great goal scorer as her game uh, he can leave the place for another play uh, for another player to run in but. But he also has a, a great definition. Uh, he has the quality, and his main attribute nowadays, I think, is uh, to bother the center backs. Uh, he every time, every time the ball uh, comes in an aerial duel, uh, or it's uh, a foul for for his team, or, or he wins the ball. But uh, I think his main uh, difference with all other strikers in the world. I think that is uh, that aerial duels and all that. But uh, with if he plays alongside Hurricane, I think it would be the, the greatest uh, attacking duo in, in the world. I, that's like as he did with Lukaku. But I would also like uh, to see him playing with Son, uh, leaving him the space and Sonny entering with his runs. Uh, it, it's really interesting to... to. It would be really interesting to, to watch him in Tottenham, but obviously the, the problem here is, is the money. It is really expensive uh, if, we, if we... But also we have to... We need and we want to... to ¿Cómo se dice aprovechar? Uh, to... Uh, maximize. We we want to maximize the the inter situation that they are having the financial situation yeah, that, yeah, that they are yeah, having yeah. nowadays. So if we want to go for Lautaro Martinez, it's now. It's this. It's this good to is be now, time. yeah, because that's when they're in trouble, aren't they? So do you think, as you said, his preference is Spain, but then the La Liga clubs they don't have any money either. That's the problem. So he may come to the but, UK. Alastair was saying today that um, he's keen to join Kuti and Lochedo, so that having both of them here was a really, uh, a really Helpful. good factor for yeah, him yeah. to actually say, you know what, I want to be in Tottenham. And l let's not diminish something that's crucial, our identity as a club, right? It's very Argentinian as well. Like yeah. the roots are set since our daily San Aquivilla. So yeah. our fan base needs Argentinians that have future and can grow and build and, and become legends at one point. So if, let's assume Martinez comes, which I think would be great, 
who do we need to buy to work with him? Because let's assume Harry Kane is going to leave because, you know, the money we think is coming from the naming rights, etc., from the money we're going to get from the stadium naming rights. But give me a name about who would he work well with, Martinez, in a European striker or somebody. Who do we need to buy to get the best out of Martinez then? Matty? Um, I don't know very well. Uh, I would like to see him uh, in as the only striker with Sonny in his left and okay. someone in his right. So play the three, would, front three then, yeah. Yeah, I would like I would like to to see that, but I think uh, as we had mentioned before, his best uh, performances are with another player alongside him. So we should go for um, another striker who, uh, I think, for another more physical. Uh, I think Blachowicz is not that bad. Like, and like he's also young. And I don't know if it's ideal, but it would be something great. Okay, great. We've got another question here from one of the viewers. Um What are your thoughts on Sissoko being linked to AC Milan? Should we sell him as well as Ondombele and Aurier? What do you so, guys think about that? JP? Uh, Sissoko. What, like, Napoli wants Sissoko, uh, Davis, and I think even Aurier, they were being linked. Why don't we do uh, take That's them what... all for Koulibaly? Uh, like, take all our rubbish players. Yeah. Let's give you some money to mm -hmm. take them uh, and let us have your star player that can be our defensive leader. Um, but talking seriously about Sissoko, um, he has to go. Same with Winks. Um, there were rumors today that we're going for um, James Worth pros. Uh, yeah, I can't, see him leaving, I can't see him leaving Southampton. He's the best player there. I don't think he's going to leave. He But has anyway. to. Like he has to, if Bestergar is going, he has to. Um, they've lost Ryan Burton I, already, Danny Ings, they've lost to Vestergaard. They can't let him go as well. Yeah, but they're probably in financial trouble as well. And Maybe, as, yeah. Matty, as Matty was saying, this is the moment that all the money that wasn't spent before, you have to spend it and you have to maximize this opportunity with all the teams that are fighting to keep the place alive. Even France, why not go to France like and go for Bodman on the chip? Because yeah. France lost 400 million uh, errors uh, on the television deal and obviously not PSG, but everyone else Even uh, Paradici loves a war. Why not take a war yeah, from war Leon? Yeah, a good option, actually, yeah. But yes. what, do you, what, what do you think about Ndombele? Should we keep him or should we get rid of him? It depends. If he's going to really blossom and put his effort in, he has to say. But if he's not, like three years in a row that you're not in shape for Uh, or it's reported that you're not in shape for preseason, that it it's been told that you're not so happy with this situation because your friends are not here, and you're being paid Harry Kane's and Hume Song's money. Like, you cannot give those sorry excuses. 
you have to perform on the pitch daily. And if you're not up to the standard, Paratici has you taken Dombele, which is a huge asset, and make a swap with someone that is also great and that yep. can really help us in the right places. Because in the new setup we saw, and this is the last time we will say, Nuno is playing Skip and Hoiberg and probably will play Lo Celso de Leali because he needs one player that's more incisive, that's more in the other penalty area, and, do, and two players that can hold. So in these new roles, and Dombele, if he stays, he stays more as what we have been seeing for, only for Levy's request, right? So let's see what we can do with that asset. What do you think, Matty? Do you think we should keep on Dombele or get rid of him? I think he's a great talent. He's a magician. He's, I think the the only player with that talent we, we've got in Tottenham, but it reaches the point that we have also Lo Celso, we have other alternatives. We we can look for another players with with the money we we should earn uh, by selling him or or doing what we what we would do. But yeah, I what happens is I really like Lo Celso and and I would not like to see him uh, to see them both both of them Lo Celso and Dombele playing uh, half of the match each uh, because we we have two great talents and and we are playing half of the match with with each of them and I would like to to see well Lo Celso has something that in Argentina and Tottenham I don't know if in Betis or PSG before. He only plays 70 minutes, so he has to have uh, someone behind him really near because in Argentina, I think it was uh, Di Maria who entered when he was um, uh, fatigued or I don't know why, but it's something we we can also talk very much about in Dombele because we, can, we couldn't think him so far, so... Yep. We have to to see him how how he performs in these uh, first matches, and and well, let's then we we can we can have our opinions. I think. Okay, guys. I mean, um, what's what's your team for the first match against Manchester City? What do you think should be this the lineup? Juan Pablo. So. I believe Kuti cannot reach the game because he's still uh, pushing uh, with an an injury. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> that makes it hard against City. Um, I don't want to see Dyer again because even when he was playing with uh, Tanganga, he was ball watching and letting players shoot, which. He becomes an spectator uh, on every game, and I think we both hate it with Mati. So, um, if I would have to pick, it would be Cherise, Tanganga, Davinson Sanchez, Rodon, 
and uh, Ray Leon because Sesenioni is still out as well. Yep. Skip uh, and Hoiber uh, with, let's just say, Lucas Mora, Lo Celso, Sony, and Harry Kane. Okay. Good team. What about you, Matty? Do you agree with that or do you have something different? Um, I, I agree with that, but I would like to say what I what I expect from from Nuno. Obviously, Joris would be our captain in the goal. Um, I think Tanganga made a great effort and a great match in in the North London Derby, and he deserves to be in the right back. I think he's gonna play Davinson Sanchez and Eric Dyer. As, as he did last time, um, with Raylon also. Um, Javier Skip and. Uh, well, do you get. Does Deli Ali get in your team or not? In my team, no. In, no. in Nuno's team, I don't know. I think uh, Deli Ali was playing because of because there were friend, friendlies. But I think Lo Celso is going to be part of the team uh, against Manchester City. And then obviously Lucas Moura at the right, I think. Um, no, Berwin at the right. Uh, no, Lucas Moura at the right. Uh, Sonny in the striker and Berwin in the left because I don't see Harry Kane playing uh, this no, Sunday. Okay. Bergwijn has put on a bit of weight. The people in London are calling him Bergwijn. Because he's put on a lot of weight, but uh, <laughs> we'll see what happens there. But uh, listen, guys, I really appreciate you giving that that information. It's really good feedback. Um, next time we'll have a good discussion on the start of the season and what your thoughts are and how it's doing. But uh, any final thoughts before we leave? Um, let's start with you, Matthew. Do you think Kane is going to stay and go? And what do you think Spurs are going to do next season? Um. No, I see him staying, but not. I don't see him starting in in this Sunday. Okay, and what do you think we're going to do this season in terms of position? Where are we going to finish? Oof. Um, I'm going to say fifth. Okay, and score prediction for Sunday? Mm. Um, Tunnel down. Okay, fine. JP? What do you think? Um, where are we going to finish this season? Yeah, I'm with Matty. I think we will finish fifth. Um, taking over Leicester and Arsenal. And Kane, I don't know. Uh, it seems that uh, City is still pushing high... I don't know. Something tell me, tells me that he's going to be gone. And that's why we have been going and talking about Blachowicz, exactly. Martinez, yeah. because all that money that it's being said that we're going to pay doesn't come from anywhere if it's Levy. So I think he goes. Um, and I hate saying it, but I think he goes for $150 million. And we're going to use that money to sign Lautaro and Blachowicz. Okay, great. I love that scenario because if Harry Kane's heart is not in it, he should go. If he wants yeah. to leave, I think it's better to let him go. And what's your prediction 
Score prediction for Saturday. Oh, Sunday, sorry. I think we draw. Yeah. <laughs> because uh, it, because uh, City doesn't have Foden, doesn't have Kevin De Bruyne. And well, De Bruyne's not playing then, oh, okay. Yeah, so those two are crucial to to what they do. Obviously, they had Gundogan on a great level mm. last season, but in order to break down what Nuno will be trying to impose, I think it will take more than... Gundogan, Rodri, Fernandinho, and Grealish. Um, because let's not forget, they still don't have a striker because Gabriel Jesus, it's, it's uh, a hybrid. Oh, yeah. yes. So it, he's not good enough. Um, so, yeah, we can draw. Okay, guys. Well, listen, thank you very much. We want to let's keep chatting during the season and, you know, keeping up to date with what you guys are doing, what we're doing. And, uh, Wish you all the very best, and let's hope that uh, we get a good result on uh, Sunday. And are you going to say "Come on, you Spurs" in Spanish? Somebody from Juan Pablo, say it in Spanish. "Come on, you Spurs." <laughs> Vamos, Vamos Spurs. Spurs. What is it? Sorry, say that again. Vamos Spurs. Vamos Spurs. Okay, guys. Gracias. See you later, guys. Take care. Thanks for everybody for watching the stream. We will be doing a stream hopefully every one or two weeks, um, getting good guests like uh, JP and Matty on to talk about different things. And thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Leave it please like the stream, and uh, that really helps us. And uh, hopefully we'll speak soon. Take care, everybody. Bye bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Spurs 9501 podcast. Stay in touch, continue the debate, and let us know what you want to discuss by finding us on YouTube. Tune in after the next match day for more insight. Thanks for listening.